dark here. Okay, welcome everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you for coming. My name is Anna. I'm from Cape Town, but you can tell I'm not from Cape Town with my accent. I'm actually British. I've been living in Cape Town coming up for 22 years. I'm married to Stephen and we've got three children. I've got a son who's doing matric. He's age 17. Um, Joshua, and that was our fault for calling him Joshua because he kept bounding, bouncing out of the boundaries all the time. I had to keep putting him back in at a certain age. He's like, stop going out of the boundaries. Oh, we called you Joshua, yeah. I've got Benjamin, who's 15, and I've got Bethany, who is 12. And yeah, I've been living in Cape Town for 22 years now, so quite a long time. Anyway, it's great to be with you all. And um, at Jubilee this year, we have been looking at the theme of rest and um, I just felt to, that's been on my heart, so I just wanted to embrace aspects of rest as women. And I just wanted to start off by looking at our identity and to help us to rest secure in our identity. And if we actually, as um, leaders in our churches, want to create a culture of this and, and are discipling women, we ourselves need to be at rest as well. So going back to our identity, in order to rest secure in our identity, we need to ask, who are we and what is our purpose? To establish this, we need to go back to the beginning to see what was God's intent in creating us. When we want to know how something works, what it's for, it's, it would be wise to go back to the manual of the manufacturer, wouldn't it? And it would be wise to go back to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. It has breathtaking truth for us that if we get to grips with it, it will undergird us for life. So going back to Genesis, we read that God created the heavens, the earth, the vegetation, and all the creatures. And at the culmination of this, it says in verse 25, and God saw that it was good. Then in verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's interesting that in the verse 27, created is, is repeated three times to help emphasize this central divine act. The first thing I want to say and draw our attention to is that we as women are made in the image of God. And God said that it was very good. And looking at the word image, the origin of the word is from a Latin word, Imago, and old French to Middle English became imitate. In other words, just to help us to unpack image, is a representation of something, an impression that reflects something else, likeness, resemblance, and reflection. So wow, just to think of that, we are created in the image of God. We are God's crowning work. And verse 27 is highly a highly significant verse and that it's the first occurrence in the Bible of poetry. It took poetry for God to describe creating mankind. And can you sense the romance of this? We are made in God's very likeness. Every human is worthy of honor and respect, and humanity is the climax of God's creativity and acti creative activity, and God has crowned us with glory and honor. And we can be negligent, negligent of our examination and exploration of what it means to be made in the image of God. Drink that in. When you think, who am I? Think, drink it in and just think, I am an image bearer. This is separate from your roots, your childhood, your history, if you, your parental inheritance, whatever your background, whatever you've been through. 
You are made in the image of God and all human beings have worth and dignity and beauty. All are deserving of respect. All are also immortal beings in the sense that he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. So we are still um, his creatures and he's still God. No one can fathom what he's done from beginning to end. And yet he has placed eternity in our hearts. What an extraordinarily high privilege we've been given to represent God, not just a noble person, God himself. So when I look at you, I will see something of God. This is our origin. Our creator's fingerprints are all over us for his reflection. And there's huge worth and dignity in this. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. By our existence, we show something of what God is like. Part of the uniqueness of humanity, beings created in the image of God, is our instinct to seek and to enjoy the pleasures of seeking. Our dignity rests upon being created in the image of God. We are made in the image of the, of the maker and itch to find some way to create. To be in the image of God is to bear the stamp or outline of God. So before I get anything else, it's so important to grasp that I have infinite value and worth before I do anything else. And it's crucial that we get this right at the outset. We don't have to earn worth. We have great worth intrinsically before we do anything. We have such a high calling to reflect something of God just by how he's made us. What an amazing truth that we need to drink in and ask God to just reveal that to us afresh. And this is radically different from the viewpoint of the culture around us, isn't it? Right at the outset, we apply this fundamental truth about our worth. The world says, perform, achieve, get letters after your name to earn your acceptance. Go this way, um, look a certain way, um, achieve things to get your worth, and that will lead to flourishing. But the Bible says that we are accepted and valuable before and therefore we flourish. He made us with value. And because of that, we flourish right at the snot. We don't earn our value. We don't earn our worth. So it's a totally different order. Not flourish, then accepted. So it's totally different, which makes a huge difference to the way we live out our understanding of who we are and why we're doing things. And God says it was very good regarding his creation and after making mankind, his most special creation was mankind. And receive this. Are you at rest in this? Do you believe that ultimately your true worth and value are based on this truth, that you are made in the image of God? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't earn your worth and your acceptance. You are made valuable and beautiful. Now, zooming in on women, having established our worth as image bearers, let's zoom in on gender to help us understand our womanhood. Genesis describes that man is made from the ground and he's distinct from all the other creation because it took the breath of God in his nostrils to make him become a living being. Man is then charged to govern the earth responsibly under God's sovereignty and given a job to work and care for the garden along with the instruction to not eat from the tree of good and evil. He's given responsibility first by instruction and warning. The introduction of woman comes when God saw that the man was lacking something. And verse 18 says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this is, the, this is a huge key to our identity and purpose. 
A, God has designed companionship and relationship and community. He didn't want man to be alone. So he himself is a God of relationship, even in the Trinity. And we're not made for individualism, but for relationship with one another. Also, both are needed to reflect different aspects of God, male and female. Woman was needed to reflect a totally different aspect of what God is like. A fuller picture was needed to represent God. And a harmonious relationship was needed to represent God and the Trinity. So firstly, we are relational beings. And as the Trinity is relational, we reflect that. In all the creation story, the first and the only time God says, let us create, is in verse 26 regarding humanity, reflecting himself in the relationship. Then verses 18 to 25, God forms the woman out of the man's rib, his side, and and he brings her to him. The man instantly recognizes that she is like him. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and the wife were both naked and felt no shame. And this expression of the phrase, bone of my bones, is a close relative to one of us, or in effect, our equal. And it was obvious to Adam, the first instinct he had was to declare that. It was obvious to him that she is his match, that they're the same, that they're equal. So be as we are equal to men and not inferior. This was the first reaction he had. She's just like me, one of me, but she's not, she's different. So we are equal and not inferior. God who said, um, God who made us said, I will make a, a helper suitable. So looking at the word helper, now all sorts of images can come to mind depending on our preconceived ideas and interpretations. And we can view the word negatively. But if we're to understand God's intent in creating us, it would be foolish to ignore that he says this. He says, I will make a helper. Be foolish to not unpack that more. So we would be wise to actually look at the Hebrew of definition to have a clearer understanding of what is meant by the word in this context. So just looking at the word helper, the Hebrew word is ezer, E-Z-E-R, pronounced ezer, and it's a combination of two roots, meaning to rescue and to save, and strength and power. And when Azer is examined in the ancient Hebrew, a fascinating image appears. The ancient Hebrew letters were actually pictures that evolved into modern Hebrew letters used today. And the ancient picture letters used for Azer were an eye, a man, and a weapon. In other words, an Azer is a revealer of man's enemy. The word is used 21 times in the Old Testament, twice for Eve. Three times it's used for when Israel goes to nations and appeals for military aid in life-threatening situations. And 16 times it's a reference to God as Israel's helper. It describes something that is vital and powerful. It's consistently used in military context. And Asa describes aspects of God's character. He is our strength our rescuer, protector, shield, and help. So Aza is a warrior. God intended to make a power or strength for the man who in every way correspond to him and be his equal. And if we unpack the word suitable, he said helper suitable, and look at the Hebrew meaning, it says konegdo, it's the word konegdo, and it means as in front of him. 
What does it mean as in front of him? She is reflective and she's the counterbalance and reflection that stands opposite him. Part of the divine balance of Yahweh, feminine and masculine energy at opposite parts of the spectrum, but opposite doesn't mean opposing. She should be his strongest ally in pursuing God's purposes and his first roadblock when he veers off course. She alleviates the man's aloneness and partners with him in their joint commission given in Genesis 1.28. Kenegdergo indicates that she is the man's match. It occurs only in verses 18 and 20 and it suggests correspondence. She's again not inferior or superior but equal. Aza Kenegdergo stands in front of him, facing him but designed to work harmoniously with him. However, she can and should be dynamically opposed to him if he's not just or righteous. And this is by creative design. She becomes his contender and can challenge him, which is for his protection as well. And in God's great design, there was no shame. There was no guilt. They were content and there was harmony. And we see in the creation account of men and women that we were made differently and are distinct from one another. And in order to come to a place of rest as women, we need to accept that we're not the same as men and we're not genderless. God had a beautiful purpose in making us distinct and we want to enjoy the richness of both. If we come to rest in this, we are freed from driven competitiveness that seeks equality by achievement or role because of a lack of understanding of where true worth lies. We believe the lie, if I do this, I will achieve equality. But there's no rest in this. It's a complete performance mentality instead of the truth that we can rest in. We are equal. We were made equal right at the start by a loving father who's brilliantly creative and his ways are far higher than ours. It can save us years of time of just trying to achieve equality. If we get this truth right from the start, we were made equal. Rest in this truth that you are made equal. Rest on the inside. Don't try and get into the treadmill of achieving equality, which isn't something God has for us the performance treadmill. In the world today, there's so much gender confusion and many people want to get rid of distinctions between us so that we become genderless. This is the world we live in, isn't it? There's a huge attack of gender in our culture and it makes me question why. Why is gender so radically being undermined? Because God created us, men and women, and he intended something beautiful. He wants us to be secure as women and to come to a place of rest as we allow the word to shape us here instead of the culture. We need to come to God's word, believing him to be good and completely trustworthy. We must come and leave our suspicions at the door. We need to ask God's help to heal us as well if sins have been done against us. So as women, we are image bearers with high dignity. We bring something extra to the picture that was needed to image God, we balance the picture out, and whatever our marital status, we have been skilled with the potential to be powerful helpers in society, bringing strength, life, and other angles of perception to the varying context we find ourselves in, bringing a fuller picture of what God is like. And if we're to disciple other women in these things, it's very important that we are at rest. The second point is to rest after identity, is to rest in God's plan the cultural mandate. So to be at rest as people, it's important to establish identity and then to establish purpose. For what purpose are we here? Who am I? 
And what is my purpose ultimately? When these questions are answered, we're able to live out our meaning. Again, let's go back to the beginning. What was God's first intent? Having looked at verses 26 and 27 about creating humanity, let's now look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we were created by God to represent him in his likeness, to glorify him by being image bearers for the purpose of subduing, bringing godly order out of chaos, to have stewardship over creatures on the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. It would seem from this that there's a joint responsibility to steward the land and be fruitful in working in the land and increasing in number and bringing godly leadership. Without the woman, man can't do this. Without the man, neither can she. God gives them to each other, male and female alike. They bear the image of God together. They share the divine benediction and cultural mandate. The woman was needed. The man was lacking something she could bring for God's joint purpose of shared stewardship together and multiplication, as well as more adequately reflecting the Godhead together. So without her partnership and reproduction, he couldn't even fully realize his humanity anyway. We both together have responsibility before God to fruitfulness and for protection and nurturing of the land of creatures, for bringing forth life and godly stewardship. So how? And um, last night, I was just a picture came to me actually of just a, a canvas, and um, I just saw like a primer. Before you paint a painting, you have to put primer first. And I felt like God wanted to give us a foundation for this um, before you look at all the sort of details of everything. But the way that we actually steward and bring godly order is to actually reflect God in whatever situation you find yourself in by having a worshipful heart. So it's a heart thing before you do anything else. Have a worshipful heart and point others to Jesus. So as God's daughter, you have authority to bring something of what he is like just by your life, by being you, to point to him and how great he is. And, and if you're prayerful and sensitive to him, he has made us to display his glory and image and in action. We are called to be worshippers in heart and life. And you have a unique opportunity to show something of what he's like according to the gifts and personality he's given you. And to just have a kingdom mindset wherever God places you. Ask him to give you eyes of faith to see beyond what is just there. You may think you're there for a certain reason, but he's actually got other plans. And later on, you realize that's why I'm actually in this situation. Have a posture of servanthood and be awake to God and expectant to what he'd have you do to where he places you. And if we see the big picture of how our small lives fit into the grand scheme of things, we'll be at peace knowing that this is unchanging, despite circumstances changing and seasons changing. As we fellowship with him, and one another, reflecting back to him the radiance of his worth and character, actions and delighting him. We find satisfaction in serving others and pointing to him. And our gifts are to be deployed for serving and building others up. So we are then freed from a small-minded, selfish self-focus into the fulfillment of serving others and making God great by pointing to him with our gifts and a purity of heart. So in the context you are in, you find yourself in. Think, why am I here? Who am I ultimately doing this for? And this should underpin and motivate the secondary issue of what you're actually doing. Seasons change, but ultimately the goal remains the same. 
when this is answered, we're able to be at rest through the changing seasons and circumstances of life, the goal being to live a life in a way that points to him and shows others what God is like and being outward in your focus and building others up to bring influence there for his kingdom, making the most of every opportunity to point to him. The purpose of bringing godly servant leadership to those around us and pointing to Jesus is our ultimate fulfillment. And this is liberating whatever season of life you find yourself in. Your ultimate purpose can be fulfilled if you seek to glorify God in it and work in harmony with others. So whatever situation you find yourself in, unemployed, student, working, single mother, retired, the whole spectrum, you are able to still fulfill your ultimate purpose to glorify God in the attitude of your heart and point others to him with your influence in that space and the other issues are secondary so if that's a foundation in your life whatever difficult situation you might be in or a good situation you have the attitude of worship pointing others to him that is your foundation for for being joyful in that circumstance but obviously there's more to that as well God has given us gifts I love what Steve was saying earlier about just the multicolored gifts of God in terms of the full deck of cards in the church and that God has got manifold wisdom that he displays in the church with different gifts. And there's a multicolored picture there in that painting. And I just love how God makes everyone so different. We're not to be like anyone else, but to just think, what has God put in me and how can I point others to God in my personality? And it was a joy recently just to have some friends at my house for tea and just to think how each one of them was beautiful in a different way and I felt they were seeking to bring godly stewardship in their situations in different ways so there was hospitality gifts there was great gifts of faith gifts of prayer um, just so many different gifts empathy and yeah reaching out to others justice there's just so many different ways that we can actually bring God's stewardship and leadership as we have eyes of faith and bring God's kingdom. And sometimes in the context you'll find yourself in, you might also just feel that there's something unsettling you and it may be that God just gives you like a burning issue on your heart and it's actually because he actually wants you to stand for righteousness in that situation and there may be a justice thing. And what we heard from earlier from that couple, they are also bringing godly stewardship in that area. It's whatever God lays on your heart. Do it to the glory of God. But it's like, Lord, what are you saying to me now for this season? What's my gifting and how can I serve the bigger picture and point to you in it? But also in the mandate... We see a calling for fruitfulness. How can we become fruitful? Now, interesting, this um, this might surprise you, but the verse that I just felt drop into my heart last night, which also wasn't in my notes, is John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So that doesn't sound like a very comfortable verse, does it? But it's actually as we die to ourselves as we are stripped off of our own yeah, comforts and our own confidence in our flesh. And I think many people are going through difficult things. Sometimes you may feel like you are that seed in the deep earth, all alone, weak. You can feel pathetic at some times, just feel I'm so unfruitful. I'm in a dark place. I'm feeling alone. But actually, we can really take heart from this verse that sometimes Jesus takes us through those hard times because actually... Out of the death will come resurrection life. And it's not just for the sake of death. It's for the sake of fruitfulness. And actually, as we die to self, as we bring ourselves to the cross again and again and bring our flesh and the things we battle with to the cross, we will become fruitful. There's a wonderful promise that when we go through difficulties, it's for fruitfulness. 
and resurrection life will be that cycle, death and then life again. So the first thing is also bring, coming to the cross and finding fruitfulness in God through seasons when we feel like we're actually dying, having fresh hope that there will be resurrection life. But also, interestingly, um, Adam aimed, named Eve, and her name means life giver. And some of us are blessed to be mothers, whether by natural means or adoption. And Gloria Furman says, mothering or nurturing is a calling for every woman, including those who do not have biological or adopted children. There is so much that falls under the umbrella of our mothering, nurturing work, caregiving, showing hospitality, discipling, teaching, raising children, serving, and more. And every Christian woman is called to the spiritual motherhood of making disciples of all nations. So we are nurturers, and God has given us special abilities in this area of being life givers. And I just love that whole phrase, life giver. And how do we become life givers? We become spiritual nurturers and mothers and disciples if we feed on the word of God. We incubate it, we eat it, we get shaped by it, we declare it, we hold it, we align ourselves to it, we stand on it, we humble ourselves, we make it the authority in our lives. And this is linked to godly stewardship as well, isn't it? As we know the word, we'll know what it looks like to bring godly influence and what a holy life looks like. As you are in the word the whole time, it just becomes part of us. And then in our context, we will know instinctively what to do and how to bring wisdom into that situation. By his word, God created the heavens and the earth. And by his word, he's still creating and speaking life. He sows his word in our hearts and it bears fruit. And I love Isaiah 55 verses 10 to 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And this is just so comforting because it's all by the power of God. And this is a promise that you will be fruitful. If you're in the word, you'll be like that tree in Psalm 1 that was planted by streams of water and it yields fruit in, in, in a season and its leaf doesn't wither. And I love how that's outside of ourselves. It's not us performing again. It's not us trying to do something at our own strength. It's literally going to the word and taking Jesus' word seriously that man doesn't exist on bread alone, but from every word of the Father's mouth. So make it a priority just to encourage us to make it a priority. Again, just to daily feed on the word of God. Jesus himself said that, that we need it, and he didn't say it for nothing. And just to ask us, or to ask you and me, are we life givers? Are you a life giver? Do you bring life wherever you go by speaking words of life, love, trust, faith, support, encouragement? The power of life and death is in our tongue. Are you lazy or passive or stingy with encouragement? Are you silent? when you could actually just speak a word of encouragement. Maybe you've seen things about people and think that's really good, but you haven't said anything. Ask yourself why. Don't Settle in your heart to be a life giver who brings reconciliation and not division or dissension. One who brings life, love, edification, love and strength. And that's part of our identity as women, to be nurturing life givers. Being a life giver also involves community, doesn't it? It involves giving life to others. It's not very easy to do. If you're in isolation, you can't really do it. <laughs> so you have to be around other people to be a life giver. So it involves community. And as I was said earlier, we need community to grow. 
We grow in this as we speak words of faith to those in our community. As God lays people on our hearts, you may know someone going through a hard time. You may be praying for them and God will just give them a word for them or whatever it is, something that just comes to your word of wisdom. Just be receptive to God, just being a life giver and speaking words of kindness, encouragement. So having looked at God's intent in creating us to be in his image, image bearers and to live in harmony with one another, we all live this side of the fall, don't we? In a broken world, and we live in the tension of what God calls us to and the fact that we don't live it out perfectly. We don't make the standard perfectly. We don't always live in harmony with each other. Sometimes we're fighting and yeah, we don't make the stand. We're aware of our fallenness. Some issues can come up in our hearts about identity as well. And this reality sometimes can just mock us and discourage us. And we just think God's goal and intent can feel like a mockery to your own experience, especially if you're also feeling like that seed in the ground. You just think, this isn't the life God called me to. Seasons of difficulty and struggle on this side of the fall can discourage us. And issues or pain may have arisen for you in any area that I've mentioned. And perhaps I've hit a raw nerve somewhere as well. Maybe there's been broken relationships or as you've stepped out in faith and it's been difficult or identity issues. And the purpose isn't to bring condemnation, guilt or shame, but to receive Christ's kind grace and redemption. And the third point is to rest in redemption, grace and restored mandate. Adam and Eve, we know, sinned as a result of their distrust in God's good character. And they became aware of their nakedness, didn't they? And they felt guilt and shame. They hid away. And I'm sure there's times in your life, I know there's been times in my life where you feel like you want to hide away. You can identify, you, you withdraw, you feel ashamed, you're in a struggle, you feel weak, you feel a lack of confidence, you feel insecure. Whatever it is can cause you. We can, we can identify that they hid away and they were embarrassed to come to God. And God did call them to account. And there were painful consequences that we still live with today. But we also see something else happening in the garden. We mustn't just rush off from that. It's remarkable that God created, if you think about it, that God created the first garments to clothe Adam and Eve's nakedness and just to show his kindness that although there was a standard he held them to and there were consequences, he actually made the first garments. And he showed compassion and understanding despite the great sin. And this was a picture of things to come, how ultimately we would be covered in Christ this clothing of Christ would reconcile us to God. And just to remind us that we have such a loving and gracious Father who understands our weakness. And I love how God is touched by our weakness. He's not repulsed by it or repelled. He actually draws close to us in our weakness and any struggle that we have. And he isn't repelled by failure. He's touched by it. And he sent Jesus to the cross for us so we can be forgiven when we mess up and be embraced. And through the resurrection power of Christ, he will empower us to live in a way that we can't by ourselves, all by him, in his grace and power. And because of Jesus, we are being restored to being image bearers who, who point to Jesus. New creations, no longer corrupt because of the, the fall, but changed at the core, no longer ashamed, but clothed, healed, forgiven. Powerful strengtheners, Warriors alongside our brothers in shared global mission. Life givers, physically bearing children, but also bringing forth spiritual nurturing and healing within community. Mothers in the kingdom, as we help prepare others for eternity with evangelism and discipleship. We find our place 
as we recognize that our small lives are part of a bigger picture and our gifts are utilized for no longer serving our own purposes, but his great purpose by being used in service to the king to help glorify him and point the world to him. And when we realize that we come to Christ, we die to our own agendas. It's so liberating because it frees us to embrace his far bigger agenda, which ultimately fulfills his purpose in and through us. And it's encouraging that when we see, we see in the New Testament how Jesus completes the circle and reaffirms the original mandate. Jesus brings us back to a restored, redeemed mandate in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it's been lovely to hear that read quite a few times at the conference as well, that God brings us back to that mandate at the beginning. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All glory to God. So we had that original mandate in Genesis, and now Jesus has brought redemption. He's again giving us another mandate. And, may, and it's interesting how we see even in the prophecies in Habakkuk and Isaiah, the, the promises about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And they can inspire us to courageously seek to obey Jesus' great commission because they are promises that God's plan of redemption is not only for us but will be successful in bringing people to faith in Christ and every people group in the entire world. It's a promise of the worldwide success of the gospel. So we've been given great dignity in identity and purpose for his great name and glory. And because of his saving grace, forgiveness, and redemption, we are freed from our smallness, our self-centeredness, our brokenness, our own ambitions and isolation to point to him as a community joined together in his big picture and experience his power at work, fulfilling his calling in us. So all glory to the king. So that's what I have to share today. Um, but I've just got some questions here. I just need to find them on my phone. And um, there's no PowerPoint, obviously, but if you want to jot them down, it might be nice just to have a bit of a time of reflection on these questions. Let me just find it. Sorry. Okay. Okay, in what ways does being reminded of how and why God made us encourage and help us to rest? Is the first question. Do you want to get that down? Okay, in what ways does being reminded of how and why God made us encourage us and help us to rest? And the next question is, how can you, in your specific life season, live out God's call to be a nurturer and life giver? The first, the second, yeah, sure. How can you, in your specific life season, live out God's call to be a nurturer and life giver.
And then the last question, how does dwelling on Jesus and his redeeming grace encourage you and help you to persevere in a less than perfect world? How does dwelling on Jesus and his redeeming grace encourage you and help you to persevere in a less than perfect world. Did you get that down? And just to have a few minutes to yourself, just be thinking through that and just reflect on it, just you and God. And also anything that maybe struck you or that you felt God was highlighting to you, just to jot that down to yourself. And then after a few minutes, I'll just say a prayer and then you could maybe um, chat to get with a couple of other ladies and then just share your answers. Take it in turns to share your answers to each three of the questions and pray for each other. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a bit of time now just to go through those questions to yourself. Just reflect by yourself.
Okay, I'm just going to pray over us if you just want to close your eyes and then you can just reach out to a couple around you and, yeah, just share your answers with each other. Just take it in turns to go through each question and just pray for each other for the remaining of the time. That'd be great. Yeah, Father God, I just want to thank you for every woman in this room, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image Lord, to represent you to this world, Lord God. Thank you. You've given us amazing gifts. Thank you that we are a vital militant force alongside our brothers in the global mission, Lord. Thank you. You've given us gifts of of power and militant strength in, in you, in prayer and creativity and nurturing life gifts, Lord. And I just I pray for us, Lord, that you'd help us to be at peace and at rest in who you've made us to be and not not to fight it, but to be secure in our womanhood, Lord. And, and to trust you in your goodness, to trust you know what you're doing and how you've made us, Lord. And to believe in your good plan and believe in your good purpose. And help us to run in harmony with one another and to be encouragers and to be life givers. And to be a support, to be people, women who speak words of support and trust and encouragement. To edify and build up and not tear down and bring dissension and division. We just pray, help us to make right choices about who we want to be. Give us great nurturing relationships in our community that keep us accountable and help us to reach out and disciple other women, Lord. We pray that we'd run free and secure and at peace with who we are in this world and able to really reach out to the lost and nurture others into your kingdom, Lord, and bring forth your life, Lord so that your mandate can be fulfilled, Lord Jesus, and your earth will be filled, Lord God, with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, Lord. I just pray your blessing on every person here today, Lord, in Jesus' name, and just be with us as we discuss these things now, Lord, and and pray more into these things. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.